to the Skeptic Wire. Start up. It's all okay. you. Hello. Hello. This is Donna Swafford, and I am speaking to you with the Skeptic Wire, which tonight consists of only Greg Perrine. And and you. And me. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, Gary is out of the office today. I don't know. He's got grad school stuff, work stuff, something stuff. He's he, got stuff. He's hiking the Appalachian Trail, and that's a joke from like three years ago. Holy cow. Yeah, good luck on that Appalachian <laughs> Trail. Uh, so, anything new with you, Greg? Um, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You kind of surprised me there. Um, it was Gary's birthday this last weekend, so uh, happy birthday, Gary. Yeah, I got to work with Gary on his birthday. Oh, dear. Okay, yeah. well. Well, I made it up to him. I took him out for dinner because I felt really bad because it was kind of like a last minute thing. <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, um, um, we need a sound guy on this project, and and it's it's not a whole lot of money, but uh, could you come in and help?" And he didn't tell me, and I had forgotten that it was his birthday. Mm -hmm. And so when I got up on Saturday morning, and it said, "Say happy birthday to 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 Gary, Gary on Facebook," I was all like, "Fuck!" <laughs> and so I was all like, "Well, hey, when we get done with the shoot, why don't we just go out to dinner?" And he was like, "Oh, okay." So I took him out for sushi. Yep. It was really nice. Let that be a lesson to all you female listeners that Gary's not that great saying no to women. So uh, yeah, you might be able to talk him into um, quite a bit if you uh, bat your eyes and, you know, push up the boobies or something like that. Arch the back a little. Yes, that's that's more. See, I don't know how to really show off cleavage very well, despite the fact that I have kind of man boobage. I try to tendency to try to diminish it not accentuate that ah uh, well that was more information than i needed to know probably but, yeah. but the listeners needed to know yeah so there you go dear listeners yes <laughs> we only bring you the most important information yes um i had a pretty boring week that's all i'm gonna say about it it was just <laughs> kind of boring uh, i worked i've been working hard so that's well well good and hopefully and, next week I'm taking it off. Which will be a interesting thing for me, which will probably be me taking a week off, but my phone's still ringing off the hook and people going, no, leave your phone over there. Turn it yeah, off. Yeah. Go away. So Gary and I will text you each and every day. He'll, I'll take the morning shift. He'll take the evening shift. Tell you, turn off your phone. Turn off your phone. Turn off your phone. Yep. Pretty much. That's I'm going to need those reminders because yeah. I'm a workaholic. Well, someone else who was a really good worker and smart had a birthday today. And what year would they have been born in? 1926. Hmm, 1926. Now, I could have gone the really easy way and uh, have someone whose birthday it is today and said, You get a car! You get a car! And you get a car! But, yeah, that would be Oprah. Right, but I didn't feel like talking about Oprah today. Even though she is a den of woo and... Yes. I'm sure I've, we've mentioned her a thousand times before, but this is someone who 
we have never mentioned before, and I don't even know if you would know who this is. Uh, this person did win a Nobel Prize in physics. Nobel Prize in physics. Well... In 1979 is when 1979. he won the Nobel Prize. 1979, Nobel Prize in physics. I think I need a little more. Okay. He's apparently the first and only Pakistani and the first Muslim to ever, ever won a Nobel Prize for science. Contrary to what Richard Dawkins has to say about that, but Richard Dawkins a couple of months ago basically said, look at how many Nobel Prize winners have come out of like England and Europe and United States and look at how many have come out of Muslim countries and it was kind of a big to hoodoo. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is it's the first one for science. First one for science. It is for his work in you know the four basic forces of electromagnetism, the the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force. Well, he the work they did was in combining the electromagnetic force and the weak nuclear force to saying, yes, see here mathematically they are essentially the same thing. The only one that I can think of is, and I'm not even sure this is the right guy. It fits fits the right geography. It fits mm -hmm. the right time frame. So, um, Salam? Yes. Mohammed yes. Abdus Salam. <laughs> Yay! Donna, you are amazing at this game because I unfortunately did not know who this was. Yes, um... Abdus Salam has done a lot of work, or did a lot of work, in theoretical physics and also was one of the first scientific advisors to the relatively newly formed country of Pakistan, and from 1960 to 74 worked very tirelessly to try to make sure that the research of science, and especially theoretical physics, was going to be done very strongly in Pakistan. Because before he took over as science advisor, there was just a tiny, 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 tiny percentage of the government's budget went to science research. And he wanted to say, you know, if we're going to be part of this modern world, we have to contribute to modern theoretical science, not just, I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but not just do manufacturing or purely practical science. We have to contribute to the, the greater knowledge. Awesome. Um, he founded the Space and Upper Atmosphere Research Commission, which is essentially Pakistan's version kind of of NASA, um, a theoretical physics group, and the he was also involved in the Pakistan Atomic Energy Commission, which was mostly for peaceful purposes of using nuclear energy, even though he's tangentially connected to the weaponized nuclear program, he didn't actively participate in that. Um, unfortunately, in 1974, he decided to leave his country for good. He had done uh, graduate studies in England. I think he went to Cambridge. He, in 1974, he left his country because the Pakistan parliament passed a bill amending the Pakistan constitution, making the Ahmadiyya sect of Islam, declaring that it wasn't actually Islam. Because basically, to do a really long story short... Um, Ahmadiyyas or isms or whatever came about from a 19th century person named Mirza Gulan Ahmad, who was essentially presented to himself as kind of, this is really simplifying it, like the second coming of Jesus. Okay. That he was a prophet 
a minor prophet after Muhammad, which is what got them in problems with the other Islamists, who basically said, I'm going to help clarify everything that Muhammad said so that we're following a more pristine version of Islam. And this started in India slash Pakistan, and then when India and Pakistan split, stayed in that area, and also became part of the United States pre-1950s Islams, especially among um, African Americans. A lot of the people in the UK were these kind of Pakistani Islamists who were the Ahmadiyyas. Basically, because they say that this person, Ahmad, because he said he was another prophet, Muhammad's supposed to be the last end-all prophets, no more, nothing. Yeah, he's the end-all, be-all yeah. of prophets. Even though he said, you know, he's not, you know, he said Muhammad was the last true perfect prophet. He's just helping things along. It's basically meant that anybody who's, who follows this sect of Islam is really kind of being persecuted. So it's illegal to, well, not illegal to, but you can't call yourself a Muslim in Pakistan if you're this faith. And also they're persecuted in Indonesia and, and other highly fundamentalist countries. And so much so that Abdus Salam, who we started talking about, his gravestone said on it, first Muslim Nobel laureate. Basically, the word Muslim got scratched off. So all it says is first Nobel laureate, which is obviously incorrect. But it's gone that far that this person who really advocated science in Pakistan and rose the profile of Muslim scientists, really, um, because in his Nobel acceptance speech, Salam basically quoted some of the Quran saying, this is why we're doing science to better understand Allah's world and all this kind of stuff. He was pretty devout, and yet other people thought he wasn't a Muslim. So that's, he's a interesting scientist who basically went to like college, graduated college at 18 or something like that, and got master's at like 20 or something really early. Smart guy, Nobel Prize, but he's the wrong kind of Muslim, so despite the fact that they have like a postage stamp venerating him and medals and honors, he's not the right kind of Muslim. Ah. So that, that's what was interesting to me about, uh, this guy. He passed away in 1996, oh. um, but, uh, left a, uh, pretty good legacy. Yeah. I mean, just starting the Pakistani NASA and their, you know, their atomic regulatory committee, that's, that's yeah. huge in and of itself. And then you you know, just happen to win the Nobel Prize on top of that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Little little stuff, you know. So, we did get some listener email, which we always love. Yes. Despite the fact that, apparently, according to the one that was sent, I was a little wrong. Well, you know, you could make the argument that wrong is just a black and white, and it's not really like a little wrong or mostly wrong. You were just wrong or you were right. I'm going to interpret it as a little wrong because it's a very positive email. Oh, awesome. So um, forgive me for reading a chunk of it, but it really, really have to go through this. This is from one of our listeners, Suzanne W., who sent us this message directly, so I'm not going to give out the last name. This is in regards to our discussion about smoking last week, most specifically... About the chemicals found in kids' saliva right. and their blood and... And especially that the byproducts of t secondhand smoke were a really good indicator of 
if the kid was going to be readmitted for asthma later on in that year. So what uh, Suzanne said was, Greg, quite surprisingly, made a slight logical slip. Greg argued that since smokers need to replenish their nicotine fairly regularly, the fact that they found markers in the children's blood slash saliva implies that the child must have been exposed fairly recently. That's not necessarily true, since the marker need not be nicotine. There's a high number of chemicals present in cigarette smoke, any of which may be used as a marker. Therefore, it does not necessarily true that the child was exposed very recently, say in the last day, but perhaps the last week. To say anything of the duration of the marker, you must know its identity. And then we sh- she went on to say how she thinks we're neat and likes listening to us, but, but she also, nobody cares about that. Right, but she also did comment that it didn't affect the conclusion. Yes, that so, smoking is still bad for you. Right. Now, what I want to clarify is she does accept for the fact that I was talking off the cuff about something I was conjecturing about. I was guessing. I was hypothesizing. I don't know for sure. But to help inform this discussion, in last week's kind of improvised discussion, I left out one detail from the articles in that the measured marker that they were measuring was a cottonine which is a marker for um, the breakdown of nicotine in the blood. So, okay. you know, you take in nicotine and one of the things the body does is break it down in, into cottonine. That's what they found in the kids' bloodstreams or saliva. So it was a marker of specifically nicotine that they found in the kids. And that's something I may have, I think I did leave, leave out last week. Just by purely accident. Right. So, But she's got a great point. Right. She does. And once again, we appreciate the listener email because this is what we do every <laughs> week. And it's, it's nice to hear that people are listening to our show and actually looking for when we make a mistake. You know, <laughs> yes. that when our logic slips, you know, if we make the straw man argument or if we make a naturalistic fallacy, which we wouldn't, but <laughs> there is a chance that somebody calls us out on it. And the way that she did it also was really cool. She was like, look, I love listening to your show. I have an issue with this point. Brought it up in a cogent manner. Wasn't bitchy about it like we usually get. We don't always get very, we don't, we very rarely get anything fully angry or snipey. Not really. No, we get, we've gotten. From time to time. We've gotten crabby. Yeah. And then we did get the one weird guy. We're small enough that we don't really attract that kind of crazy attention. Yes. Which, and it's, it's really nice to know that our listeners are paying close attention and they're going out and they're thinking about what we've said. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's honestly, I think one of the best compliments that we could get as a podcast. (laughs) Holy shit. People listen to to us. us. No, it's that they listen to us and they think about it afterwards. Yes. And I also did want to give a shout out to friend of the podcast, Richard Hannes, and I will say his last name. He is the vice president, I believe, for Atheist International, and he was just recently on their podcast, and he was a little nervous, sent it to <laughs> us and said, hey, take a listen, and we just wanted to say, great job on it. I listened to it today. I was really happy had some great comments about atheism and how atheism is perceived and its relationship with the current Pope. Do you know what the name of that other podcast series is? Yes. Richard was on the Secular World podcast. And like I said, he did a great job. He argued why we shouldn't like the current Pope as much as we do. (laughs) 
he brought up, I think things that we've, we've been considering, you know, about how he's not actually changing any of the doctrine, but I can't get over the fact that he's actually just genuinely seems like a nice guy and not, you know, the Emperor Palpatine. Of, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he's not he's not Emperor Palpatine. And I just, you know, I really like that. Actually. <laughs> I think that he is. You're you're still talking about the Pope here, the Pope. Not... I am still talking about the Pope. I, I, I think that the Pope is going to be a good transitional Pope. And I don't think that he can change that much from the inside quite yet. So kind of like how Doctor Who fans are thinking that Peter Capaldi is going to eventually prepare us for eventually having a female doctor that Pope Francis is preparing us to eventually having a female Pope? No, not necessarily a female Pope, but maybe a, a Pope that's a little bit more mainstream, maybe a little bit more fighting for secular <laughs> rights, perhaps perchance. Well, that's in to be the devil's advocate. Ha 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 ha. The Pope's job is not to defend secular rights. It's to, basically say you should all be catholic yes but there is something to be said for hopefully having popes that understand that the catholic church has to change to meet the modern world on the other hand when you have a 2000 year old institution like the catholic church it's kind of like trying to steer 500 oil tankers all bungee corded together you kind of got to really steer it pretty heavily to get that much change on things like whether you not have female priests or if gays are okay or contraceptions or if they are, they're okay with Muslims, all that kind of stuff. Right. And that's what I see starting with this guy. I think he's planting the seeds. We'll see. Yeah. You know, he's still of the atheists can get to heaven if they only believe, <laughs> but he actually said atheist and didn't like choke on his word, <laughs> you know, right there. And he's not wearing ten thousand dollar gucci socks so yeah. i have a little bit more hope but richard did a great job i listened to it it was actually rather entertaining yeah and one of these days you know we we have a bit of a time difference but one of these days we got to get richard on our show yeah just yeah. to shoot the shit it's been a while well <laughs> yeah well speaking of shit <laughs> one of our other listeners posted a article to our facebook page that is um um, pretty crap tactic. Pretty full of shit. Yeah. So thank you. This is Greg cutting in for a second at, during the editing of the podcast. I realized in our discussion, Donna and I forgot to credit the listener who actually left this story on our page. It was left by Philip Philby Brereton. So thank you very much. Now back to the show. Yeah, there is a recent, I don't know how you would describe this. It looks like this scientist uh, read the script for Ghostbusters 2 just a little bit too seriously. <laughs> um, and he believes that positive thinking can change the world. This has actually physically been, changed yeah. the world. This has actually been around for a while. Right. And, and it seems that it's just gone around on the Facebook meme wise a lot recently because I've seen other people post it. If for some reason, it's just one of those things that's floated to the surface like a delicate little piece of shit on the surface of the Facebook pond. And just people are saying, oh, yeah, see how this proves the power of positive thinking. Right. So basically what has happened is he's done two experiments 
One is with rice where he puts it in this container with some water and if you talk to it nicely, it apparently doesn't mold or turn to shit or look ugly. It stays nice and fresh. And then if you ignore it, it goes practically black. And if you yell at it or say, you know, you're, you're a piece of crap or something, it, it gets moldy. And so it's this whole thing of like talking to the rice and being one with the rice. Yeah. But it was a cute story because it involved school children. Because you, he, he took, like, there were, like you said, there were two containers. One said, thank you on it. The other said, you fool on it. Yes. Apparently, that's a little bit more of an insult, um, I guess. Cause, In Japanese, yeah. I would guess. This is, um, sorry, this is Dr. Masuro Emoto. Yep. And um, basically had the kids, when they came into school or left, I guess, they would say either thank you or you fool to one of these jars of rice. And... Yes, the the you fool one or I hate you or whatever was got moldy and decayed, where the other one was pristine and like new, kind of like that um, thoroughly debunked quote unquote experiment done about uh, leaving a McDonald's cheeseburger on a window sh sill so, and it, how it doesn't mold yeah, or, or anything. anything like that. But yeah, so it had the cute little kids and whatever. But you, you think, well, okay, first of all. All right, this is involving school kids where most school kids are kind of silly and maybe rebel. So what if half the kids were walking past the uh, thank you one and saying, you fool, fool, just to be different, just to fuck with things? Yeah. Because I never would have done that in the third yeah. grade. And plus, you know, this is not, okay, technically you're kind of doing sciencey stuff with a control and a and a variant and you're, you're treating them differently, but... We don't know if the containers were sterilized first, or maybe one of the containers was in sunlight and the other one wasn't. Yeah. And and, there's... And even something as small as that could have changed things, let alone whether it was sterilized or someone, or even worse, someone basically put, like, washed the one that said, I love you, but didn't wash the one that said, I hate you. Right. Exactly. So he's decided to actually continue with his experiments, and he did one with crystals. Ice crystals. Basically, it was the same kind of thing where there were two bottles of water or whatever, and or, or, or water sources or whatever, and they said positive things to one and negative things to another, and then froze that water. They flash froze it, was my yeah, understanding, was yeah. that it was a very quick process. And then used a, um, I guess an electron microscope or something, uh, or just high-powered microscopes to take pictures of the resulting crystals. And what they said they found was that in the positive or good word crystals were very pretty and your traditional snowflake shape or whatever, where the bad negative words were blobs, amorphous blobs, didn't really form crystals or not. And they also kind of did similar things with saying that they had just um, polluted water that someone was able to pray over or say good things towards and it cleaned it quote unquote by show. And they showed that because it perform it created really nice looking crystals. And they yeah. don't seem to mention the fact that apparently they were a little selective on what pictures they decided to take. I was going to yeah. say, cause there is no definition for what they defined as, as beauty. 
would it be, you know, a symmetrical six pointed crystal traditional yeah. star shape or, you know, does it have to have, you know, little wings on it or, you know, in the shape <laughs> of a butterfly or yeah. I, I, they didn't it, define their parameters. So all you had to do was basically be scanning across the water and say, all right, this oh, is the good pretty. water. It's blah, blah, blah. Oh, there's a pretty crystal. I'll take a picture of that. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, there's a pretty crystal. I'll take a picture of that. Or vice versa. The bad water, crystal, crystal, crystal. Oh, there's a blob. I'll take a picture of that. Right. So their, their empiricism on this, <laughs> I would call into question. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, would too. In addition, and it was something that I was reading, and I unfortunately don't have my notes about this particular paper, was that the way that crystals form, like if they form really fast, they can form crystals inside of crystals, and that can make them look blobby, okay. I guess. Yeah. And that, you know, more traditional crystals will form, and then it, they form the crystals around it, and that's how it grows. It grows in kind of a, a circular yeah. sort of thing. So it, it is more traditional looking. So they might have done, you know, look, we'll flash freeze the bad water <laughs> and we'll, you know, slowly let this one freeze so it makes prettier crystal. I don't know. There's just a lot of problems with this. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of problems with a lot of Emoto's stuff. But for As a side tangent, I just love the fact that this guy who talks about essentially the emotions you focus on water changes how the water is. His last name is Emoto. Yes. It sounds very emotional. Anyway, I mean, that's my Anglo-Saxon kind of putting onto his name thing. But um, there's a lot of problems with what goes on with these quote-unquote experiments. Like we said, there's no controls. He's done things like recreating the rice experiment was he told his followers, hey, do this at home and then send me the results. And essentially implied, send me the results if you get any. So it was very selective reporting. You know, you, you think of someone who's a believer in Emoto's work who says, says, well, they both got rotten. I must have done it wrong, so I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to send in any pictures. Yeah. So it... there's there's the lack of scientific controls. And then, like you said, with the with the crystals themselves, they use a lot of weird flowery language. They, they said that the crystals had a brilliant healing effect or with overflowing with love. And then there was one. Oh, where, yeah, exactly. Sorry. There was one ex quote unquote experiment that he apparently did where he exposed the water to music. So let's, let's ignore for the fact the whole, like putting a label on a jar, the water can somehow read the label or read the psychic vibrations of people. Okay. Put music towards the water. And if he had, you know, a mournful melody or whatever, it was, it was blobby or whatever. But if he played any music towards it, this is what he, how he described it. Pure, innocent, and white, just like Enya's voice. How do you, well, first of all, <sighs> how do you describe crystals as pure, as innocent? There's a lot of uh, there's flowery a, language uh, going along here. He's making conjectures that are not holding up to analytical paradigms. Yes. There's, yeah. there's, how do you describe, how can you tell that a crystal is teeming with life? Which is another quote. It's like, how, how do you, how do you define that? How do you measure teeming with life? Right. My favorite one in the article is there's a, there's a photo of an ice crystal and it says two crystals and it says 
The photo on the left is an ice crystal frozen from severely polluted water. The photo on the right is the same water refrozen after having been blessed by Dr. Emoto. One can plainly see that we do have the ability to not only heal ourselves, but our earth as well. Yeah. Okay. So if you've got, let's just say a cup of water <laughs> and you freeze it, I'm pretty sure that I can find blobby crystals and I can find yeah. pretty crystals. Or what I define as pretty. <laughs> because there's no, once again, no definition. Yeah. It is this amorphous language that goes, oh, look, it's pretty. Well, you know what? <laughs> I happen to think skulls are pretty and not a lot of other people do. So. Yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's all that. There's also a lot of other red flags about Dr. Emoto. Like the fact that he has an cells or yeah, he's still alive. Um, a Hado machine, H A D O. That sounds like something from hentai. Ag well, okay, no, I don't <laughs> think so. It's more like the the Kegel water that we talked about a couple oh. years ago. That it was you know supposed to purify the water or whatever, so that you can Kanga drink it. water. Kangen water. Kangen, yes. Kangen water, not not Kegel. Kegel. Uh, those are those girly exercises that you can't do. Boys can do Kegel exercises too. Oh, you're right. It all controls... you have to do, all you have to do, is stop your pee mid stream. Yes, and it's possible. Trust me. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I know bones, another, not muscles. Another thing that the listeners desperately needed to know. Anyway, another red flag about Dr. Yamoto is his quote-unquote doctorate is in alternative medicine from Open International University for alternative medicine in India. Wow, that's that's quite a mouthful for yes. a for a educational facility. I don't know if that's the full name, but essentially he has not a doctorate. Yes. <laughs> he, he is not a doctor. Yes, he uh, and essentially, he doesn't listen to any of the criticisms of the scientific community saying, this is full of hogwash, there's nothing to it. And he just continues to try to sell stuff. And then, you know, basically, the followers give him money and he keeps doing what he's doing. And he's not a doctor. But actually, you know what? I found something out this week. And this is just a really big aside. I found out that you can get a doctorate in... Um, Theology, I believe it is. Oh. For 40 bucks. From where? Universal Life Church offers <laughs> a, a doctorate in theology for $40. They give you the certificate and everything. <laughs> and I was all like, I should get one <laughs> just to go. Now, if you get that doctorate, do you get to give yourself a title like pastor or friar or whatever? Yes, I believe so. I, I know I've seen this kind of discussion on Facebook before, but... It's a doctorate of divinity. What should us atheists use as our our titles? I've I You know, there's some basic ones like celebrant print. or something like that. But I don't know. I think it'd be kind of fun one day to kind of think of different titles that we atheists should use as our, you know, our hierarchy of atheists. How do you rank kind of... David Silverman and Richard Dawkins versus us two plus Gary, you know, yeah. are, are we like adepts level, friar level versus their like 
popes of atheism kind of stuff. Hmm. Very interesting. And I hope nobody takes that quote out of context because someone people always accuse like David Silverman or especially Richard Dawkins of, oh, he's the atheist pope. Everybody just bows down to whatever he says. If anybody's looked on the Internet in the last several years, they know, no, not everybody bows I'm down to Richard Dawkins. I'm probably one of the biggest person who calls Richard Dawkins out because... He's a little misogynist. Yeah. Once in a while. He makes mistakes. Yeah. He's he's human. That's yes. exactly our point. So, but yeah, if you want to get a doctorate, all you have to do is go to Universal Life Church. ULC.net, it I it, believe. It seems like anybody can just get a doctorate yes, whenever I the know. hell they want. Yeah, because there's actually another guy, a doctor, and I'm... Unfortunately, the listeners can't hear me using air quotes around the yeah. word doctor well i think every almost everything we're going to be talking about tonight is going to be involving scare quotes and i was actually listening to another podcast that i'm catching up on because i wanted to find a new podcast and one of the things they did to uh indicate scare quotes is just to go scare quotes on the mic scare quotes yes (laughs) that's kind of cool so yes we have the scare quotes Dr. Robert well, you, you O. Young. You, you don't actually have to say scare quotes. Yeah, I like it. I like to say it. <laughs> has been arrested. Now. Now, who is Robert Young? He, Robert Young is the guy who wrote the PH Miracle. And he basically touts this naturalistic, very vegan, no no real animal products, no cheese, no milk sort of diet. To align your body, because apparently we're born alkaline, but everything we take in is acidic. And because we take in so many acids, our body is all out of whack. And that's what causes type 1 diabetes and cancers and everything that's bad in your life is is because your your chakras are misaligned. So it is the catch-all cause of all diseases. Yes. Which is... One of the first red flags of this is pseudoscience. The yes. second red flag is that his quote unquote doctorate is in naturopathy. Yes. Now, with that being said, he did get a degree from University of Utah. That is where his bachelor's is from. But his master's degree in nutrition and his ND are from, how shall we say, um bullshit university you know <laughs> bullshit university is is a really good way to put it um yeah i'm good with that yeah his doctoral degrees were received from diploma mills and robert bradford who is kind of basically his mentor has been convicted of latrial smuggling in the 70s and he didn't actually have a college degree right so mm, so the clayton ecology of natural health that's is, where Young got his quote-unquote PhD. Right. Is a non-accredited correspondence college, which has since closed its doors. The Universal Life Church has been around for a long, long time, time. And you just need 40 bucks to get a doctorate from them. Right. He also received in 1993 a MS in nutrition from the American College in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. I have no information on that school, but... Um, Judging by his other credentials, it's good to be skeptical, but needs more research. Yeah, needs more research. But, you know, he has a doctorate in naturopathy, an ND, which in the science world means not a doctor. Correct. So, like I said, he's been peddling this 
align your body. Um, I will read some of the quotes here. Um, a lot of it is very much, you know, align your energy. It's uh, there's something about that they're, that he sells supplements and stuff to break down your nutrition into so-called colloids. Yes. Which are more easily brought into the cell, but also have a pop charge that energizes and revitalizes your cells. And it's a lot of quote unquote sciencey sounding stuff that has no basis in reality, no experimental evidence, nothing to show that it actually works. Despite the fact that there was this whole big thing a couple of years ago about him having these testimonials on YouTube about how he had cured this woman, Kim Tankum of who, cancer. Who later died from cancer. Within a year. Yeah. He, he told her to stop taking her, her chemo and take his herbal supplements or something like that. And yeah, she died in a year. We don't know exactly how long she would have lived on chemo, but... Uh, all, but it's telling that all those testimonials have been taken down from YouTube since. So right. there's a lot of flowery standing language that yeah, he sticks to. Yeah, and he also to. has said that that the cancer cells are cocooning this bad cell that's too acidic to keep it from spreading to other cells and shit yeah. like that. And I was like, D, as I'm reading this, now, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> okay? I know basics of human physiology and how cancer works and until today i'd never heard of cancer cells cocooning the bad cell i was like i had like the face palm that was going to the back of my head i was just now i know our immune system can deal with cancer in essentially white blood cells finding cancer cells and enveloping them and kind of doing what you would normally do with harmful bacteria or viruses, but cocooning, I'm not so sure about. Right. This is a quote from him on his, what is the cause of cancer? Is there a cure? Cancer's tissue above all other consequences of choice has countless secondary causes, but even for a cancerous condition, there is one prime origin and cause. And I have simply summarized this origin and cause of cancerous tissue in a few words. The prime origin and cause of cancerous tissue is the over-acidification of the tissues, then the blood due to lifestyle and dietary choices. A cancerous tissue begins with our choices of what we eat, what we drink, what we think, and how we live. Cancer is a liquid, and this liquid is a toxic, acidic waste product of metabolism and energy consumption. Now, there's some. that's the danger of people like this naturopath, in that there's something to be said for, yes... Good nutrition, not taking in basically, I hate to use this word, toxins on purpose, things like tobacco and alcohol and right. recreational drugs, and trying to get good exercise and stuff like that. That all is valid advice, but it's also the valid advice your true actual doctor would give you. Right. So that's the danger of that, but all that other stuff is right. just hogwash. So he, he summarizes his ideas, and one of them is... A, the tumor is the body's solution to protect healthy cells and tissues. Um, well, there are s some growths or whatever that are what essentially scar tissue or whatever around something bad. Yeah. Cysts. Right. But that's not cancer. Right. 
But also, there is no such thing as a cancer cell. A cancer cell was once a healthy cell that has been spoiled by acid. Okay, I'm I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but basically say something that's very much connected to those ideas. Apparently, in his latest book, um, I think it's from 2008, called The PH Miracle, it's one he's most well known for, he puts forth this idea that essentially microorganisms don't have fixed structures, but are essentially made up of these entities called microforms and microzymas. And what he says is that all cells evolve from them, the microforms and microzymas to begin with, and that red blood cells can devolve and then re-evolve into any cell the body needs. He's essentially claimed later on... So they're Hox cells? No, no. He claims that he has been seen bacteria cells change into yeast cells sorry and then transform into mold and then back and forth so essentially cells are not static they can change into anything you know what if he could prove this he'd win a fucking nobel prize (laughs) kind of like salam did yes but i don't exactly see the nobel committee Jumping up and going, here you go. Here's your Nobel Prize. Yeah. Thank you for your contribution to medicine. Yeah. One of the things he does is either live blood cell analysis or dried blood microscopy, which is essentially either you take a drop of blood and put it on a slide and either you cover it with another slide to keep it wet, which is the live blood cell analysis, or let it dry and then cover it up, which is the dried blood essentially, and then basically put it under a high-powered microscope or whatever so you can see the blood cell or whatever, and he will diagnose people based on those blood samples, saying, oh, you're really alkaline and you need this, or, well, I have this blood sample from this patient that I have no idea what they had. Looking at their blood cell, I'm convinced they have multiple sclerosis and they need this in their diet or something like that. And he will diagnose people and will say, all right, these are the supplements of mine that are available on my website that you should buy and forget about that chemotherapy and all that stuff. So this is exactly the kind of stuff that he's actually been persecuted for before and not persecuted like a mob with pitchforks and a flame by the government saying that you are practicing medicine without a license. This uh, it's happened several times before where he he's essentially diagnosed people for problems and said, here are the herbal remedies you need to cure you. And that is essentially saying you have a disease and prescribing something, even though it's herbal supplements, that is what a doctor is supposed to do. And that's practicing medicine without a license. Right. And I think it was back in the nineties and maybe in the, the, the aughts, like the last decade or something. Two or three times he's already been arrested before. But the new news is he's been arrested again. again. And basically what happened is is that the state of California sent in two undercover agents. Yay, California. And they went to his avocado farm slash wellness center <laughs> that he charges between $1,300 and $2,500 a night. That alone should just cause him to be arrested. <laughs> Because, I mean, I've stayed at some really fancy hotels and never paid that much, okay? But the way that California alternative medicine law works 
is they cannot perform any practices that puncture the skin or harmfully invade the body or treatments in conditions or circumstances that are dangerous. And what they are charging him with is basically illegally giving somebody an IV. Okay. That is what he's been formally charged with. The problem is California has very liberal naturopathy laws. They got the nickname the Granola State for a reason. <laughs> Having grown up in California, I Imagine how this. bad it would be if they also had Portland in their state. California law basically says that, you know, if you are a certified practitioner of naturopathy, homeopathy, Chinese, herbalisms, Reiki, all of the crap that we've been talking about <laughs> for three years, as long as you're not, you know, actually pricking their skin, which makes me wonder about like acupuncture because it does, but it's, yeah, yeah you know, it, it's one of those yeah, gray areas, I guess. It, it, I guess it really depends on how they couch their descriptions of the quote unquote treatment. Right. Because if it's like to pro promote wellness, like your breakfast cereal, then they can probably get away with it. But they probably have to be certified in some way because they are, like you said, sticking someone with a needle. Right. But California also says they have to come from an accredited, once again, scare quotes, accredited <laughs> naturopathy school to become licensed in California. Yeah. Now... There's some questions about that in Dr. Young's past. Yeah. But these doctors, once again, scare quote doctors, they can order blood tests, x-rays, all of these things. And places like your local x-ray lab have to provide them the results. Yeah. This, the, <sighs> the, the really terrifying thing about naturopathic quote unquote doctors, doctors, is that it's even worse than your standard medical doctor, where some doctors are better than others, where there, I think there are some naturopaths out there who are essentially real doctors who also, you know, have incense in their office or something like that, where they're just crunchy granola, real doctors. But you also have the wackaloons who are saying, no, don't take your chemotherapy, have this homeopathy and just eat um, strawberries so that you change the acidity of your blood and then you'll be cured of cancer and really dangerous people like that. Right. The, the error range of whether or not someone is proficient or not is really problematic with naturopathy because it could, you have quote unquote accredited training for naturopaths that could be anything, could be a correspondence school over a weekend, or it could be someone who actually learns something about the body and understands how the body works and is not anti-vaccine and is not pro-homeopathy and is not one of the basic tenets of naturopathy is all about vitalism and the idea of the energies and the natural balance of the body and your body just heals itself all that kind of stuff you can be a little hippy dippyish and actually know what you're talking about or right. you can be a complete quack i was going to say you know if you are seeing a naturopath in conjunction with your regular doctor for a complex problem diabetes naturopath who's going to put you on a good diet probably and make suggestions about how you can improve your eating and your exercise and these things that 
are contributing to that type right. one diabetes. Great. Awesome. But you're also still seeing your MD. There's <laughs> devil's advocate to that. Um, I was thinking, okay, as an aside, before I came home from work today, one of my friends from grade school on Facebook posted a link via the California Naturopathic Doctors Association. And it's a YouTube video saying, support legislation to allow California naturopathic doctors to practice medicine as trained. And I essentially responded of, naturopaths should not be allowed to quote-unquote practice medicine because they're not trained to actually do medicine. There's a reason why nat you know ND stands for not a doctor. The idea that these people are actually doctors is really scary. And going back to your point... In thinking of how I was going to respond to this friend, one of the things I thought about and also thought about with this Dr. Young case was, okay, tell me, is there actually a medical doctor out there, anybody with a full-on MD who has ever actively told somebody who was one of their patients, no, you shouldn't be better nutritious, no, you shouldn't exercise, only do my pills and surgery solution? Because that's always the big straw man that people like naturopaths and homeopaths throw against doctors well no they don't care about good eating or 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 exercise or anything like that i am a fat man and every doctor i've ever gone to has always said you should eat better and exercise yeah and they have never said no you need lap band surgery granted i'm not as heavy as other people are but their first solution has never been pills or surgery it's been you should eat better and you should exercise more. I'm a complete fucking idiot and I don't follow that. But the idea that naturopaths are better than real doctors or that you should have to also go to a naturopath because your medical doctor is not telling you to exercise and, and eat right is bullshit. Right. That's my kind of devil's advocate to that saying, right. no, no, you don't need these people. We need right. people no, with good training. I, you know, I, my belief, though, is, is that if you're going to see a naturopath, if... You're going to do it in conjunction with your medical doctor. Yeah. The scary thing is, is people want these naturopaths to be reimbursed by Medicare and licensed by the state. Right. And that's giving them... Legitimacy. The stamp of... Exactly. The stamp of approval. This week has been really bad because I have just seen so much of the vaccines. And I'm, I'm, I know this is going back to something that we harp on all, all the time. time. Well, but every, a lot of this every whole, skeptical podcast of every everybody out there. A lot. Of, I have seen so much of the vaccines are causing these diseases, and it's all big pharma, and and yeah. and I am just so fucking tired of it. Yeah. Ugh. Vaccines do not cause the disease, <laughs> and actually, vaccinations are one of the have the smallest margin of profit. Yeah. For companies ever. There are a lot of companies that don't make vaccines because they don't make them money. Yes. So but I'm just the, the putting whole, that out there. The whole thing with this guy, Dauber, Dauber, this whole thing with this doctor, quote unquote, scare quotes, uh, Robert Young and um, Emoto, none of this stuff for naturopathy or alkaline diets or the Hodo machines, Hado machines and the... Uh, you know, the, the sound will affect your water, all that kind of stuff. It has never been proven. It's actually been disproven so much that it's not been proven. Right. I've got like three negatives in that sentence, but you know what I'm talking about. 
And you know what was the hardest part for me about this article about Dr. Robert Young? Was not calling him Marcus Welby, MD. <laughs> uh, That's I, the actor that played Marcus Welby, MD. Oh, Robert Young. Young. Oh, okay. Robert Young played Marcus Welby. And I kept seeing this and I'm like, but he is a doctor on TV. You know, not, I don't, not, you know, I'm... I'm an actor. I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV. You know. <laughs> well, I guess that reference was a little too old for me. Ah, <sighs> yeah, you're a youngin, aren't you? I, I, I mean, I'm not that much younger than you, but yeah, I guess there's some references that are just a little old for me, and uh, seem like they're thousands of years old. Yeah, really old, kind of like a 4,000-year-old tablet from Mesopotamia that has recently been finally translated by Irvin Finkel, who now has a book coming out. And guess what? He's talking to everybody about what's going on. Um, About how it was a Mesopotamian grocery list? No, apparently not. Um, appar it was a note for him to call his mother. No, it was essentially a tablet with cuneiform i think it is is that how you pronounce yep. it cuneiform essentially telling the story of a vast flood that destroyed all life on the world except for this god enki who decided to warn his this good human babylonian man that he thought should be saved um atra hasim i think that's what it is or hasism um that uh, he should build a boat to save himself from this giant flood Okay. Does that sound a little familiar to you? Um, let me see. Let me think here. <laughs> giant flood. It wasn't the movie 2012, which did have a giant flood. What was the... Oh, could it be Noah's Ark? I don't know. Maybe? Possibly? No, no, no. Sorry. It was the Epic of Gilgamesh. Epic of Gilgamesh. Yes. Which I do actually. <laughs> yes, yes. Noah's Flood. Noah's Flood. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> well, essentially, this guy, Irvin Finkel, had gotten access about 10, 15 years ago to this cuneiform tablet and has been slowly but surely trying to translate the thing. It's not that big of a tablet, but apparently for a good 10 years, he didn't have access to it. The owner took it back and would let him have it for a week or whatever. But fairly recently, the owner passed away and also let the uh, this guy, Finkel, try to translate the tablet as, as soon as he possibly could. And it's essentially a telling of this flood story and how the Mesopotamian gods decided that they were going to wipe out humankind with a flood. Basically, from what I understand from the news articles, they decided to wipe out humanity because they were too noisy. So not oh. the Noah's Ark kind of, oh, people were bad and, and, and needed to be wiped out to start over, just because they were bad neighbors. Something we can both relate to. Yes, per very much so. But the thing that's making the big headlines about this final translation of this tablet was the fact that um, included in the story are very detailed instructions on how to build the boat. Now, anybody who's been raised under essentially Christianity and Judaism knows in general, the idea of Noah's flood, where he was instructed to build a big wooden boat with X cubits this way, X cubits that way, X cubits this way. And there were some instructions in the Bible slash Torah version of the story where this is how you build your boat. But apparently the instructions from Enki, this Mesopotamian god, were really, really specific. There were instructions that this guy, uh, Atrahasism, 
had to build a huge coracle, which in modern terms is about two-thirds the size of a soccer field, and he needed some 527 kilometers, which is about 330 or so miles of rope that they would kind of intertwine with palm tree, um, I assume trunks or something like that, to weave this all in and out and then basically coat it with a pitch that would waterproof this reed slash rope boat. And that not only were there instructions for how much rope to use and what materials to use, but also how long to boil this tar pitch in order to get it to bubble correctly so that you could code it correctly. Apparently on this small tablet, there was lots of instructions and all the headlines are all about that. This was a round Noah's Ark, but it's also not an Ark. It's this, what is it called? A coracle boat, which is apparently fairly traditional boat that even to like 50 or 60 years ago was still being used in the middle East as a river boat. So you figure that this this Dr. Finkel, his interpretation is that when this story was originally told, you were around a lot of boat people and fishermen who knew boats really well. So in order to make a believable story, you really had to include a lot of details on how the boat was actually made so that people would believe you that this actually happened. You know, if you, if you were saying, you know, I'm going to make a boat out of cheese, no one's going to believe you. But... In this culture, you really had to be very specific on what was being built so that anybody would say, yeah, okay, I could see that happening. Yes, because a boat made out of cheese would be fucking awesome. <laughs> and, and also that you would use a local type of boat. Everybody knew this round kind of fishing transport boat, this uh, coracle. And it, so it shows the evolution of the story from 4,000 years ago of this Mesopotamian myth. And then the Epic of Gilgamesh came up, I guess, a couple thousand years later or something like that. And then a thousand years after, well, okay, maybe not. I'm doing thousands too much here, but some hundreds of years later, eventually it gets translated into the biblical version because the Jews were taken over by the Mesopotamians. And they said, oh, this is a neat story. We'll incorporate it and make it to our values, which is... You're bad people, so you all deserve to be drowned, and you have to follow our powerful evil god, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Dr. Finkel has a book coming out, The Ark Before Noah, and apparently he's also going to be doing kind of a, I guess, Discovery Channel-type special about getting local artisans to try to create this boat and see if it would actually float, let alone be seaworthy. Because you think a river boat doesn't have to be doesn't have to worry about typhoons or anything like that, so um, it's a big publicity push. It's interesting to show this old story on how it's changed over the years and how the details for different cultures are different. But um, essentially, it seems that Dr. Finkel, in interviewed about all this, they've asked him, you know, so hey, do you think there really was a Noah's Ark or this flood happened? And, He's pretty much, eh, doesn't really matter. It's an old story, and it's a story that we follow through cultures, and that's really what's important to me. He doesn't care the biblical literalism of it all, but, you know, he does admit that there might be some, you know, conflict with biblical literalists who think, but no, it's our Noah version. That's the must be the truth and all that yes. kind of stuff. Well, 
looks like we're at the end of the podcast, and that means it's time for what did we learn tonight? <laughs> what we learned tonight. Salam gave Pakistan their own NASA, their own Atomic Energy Commission, and a Nobel Prize. Apparently the first Nobel laureate, despite all those other Nobel winners before him, if you read his gravestone. Yeah, because they took out the Muslim, because he's a bad Muslim. Bad, yeah. bad Muslim. Dr. Emoto gave us emoticons, which gave us <laughs> rice in crystals can only make colon dash close parentheses if you think nice things around them. No, I don't think he's about colon cleansing. No, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. So not a doctor, Robert Young, Marcus Welby, MD, has been arrested <laughs> for giving out IVs, not his two hundred or $2,500 a night stays at an avocado farm. <laughs> and finally, we learned that Noah's Ark instructions in Mesopotamia prove you need pitch, tar, and rope to make a boat to save humanity instead of making one out of cheese. <laughs> that is what we learned tonight, people. I just want to say thank you for listening. It's been a great show. Uh, Gary should be back next week, mm -hmm. so you guys can talk to him. I may or may not be here. Yep. So. Um, I'm going to say goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen. Au revoir. See you later. A bientôt. I don't know. Tschüss. Bye, y'all. <laughs> the Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the PodPosted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. Persecuted in Indonesia and and other highly fundamentalist countries, um, and so much so that Abdus Salam, who we started talking about, his gray phone, his gray phone, hey, is my, that like the bat phone? That's my blue phone. That's your pink phone. That's his gray phone. <clears throat> his gravestone said on it, first Muslim Nobel laureate." Or dried blood microscopy, which is essentially taking a drop of blood, putting on a slide and covering it in either let. <laughs> I, I, I agree, Harpo. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>